Super Talk Mississippi media production. Kickstart your adventure now with a new Gud Golf Cart from Country Carts of Brookhaven. Gud Golf Carts are assembled right here in Mississippi with the best features around. And best of all, they're street legal. Country Carts of Brookhaven, 401 Highway 51 South, phone 601-748-0454. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes, baby. In a Mississippi Minute. That's right. Today, baby, I am going deep into my friendship. A very talented guy who co-wrote with me so many songs. A lot of them I would go on to record. He also wrote big hits for household names. Well, how about Martina McBride's Broken Wing, Diamond Rio's In a Week or Two, Dwight Yoakam's I Ain't That Lonely Yet, and I Can Keep Going. He also had hits of his own, such as This Is Me Missing You. His ability to write across genres is unparalleled in our world. And he's got a cool new project out, James House and the Blues Cowboys. It's been a beautiful career, and he's got a beautiful soul. Please say hello to hit maker, producer, recording artist, and a Swiss Army knife-like musician when you're in the studio with him, James House. James, are you in Nashville right now? Where are you? I'm in Nashville, yeah. What's, uh, what's, uh, what's, what's cooking right now? Well, I'm just um, out promoting the record a lot. I put together a band that uh, I just love. They're all just from all over the country. Uh, our uh, drummer, Smooth Ross, is from Lafayette, and uh, our players from Boston, and Devin Campbell. And our B3 player is uh, Cleveland DuBose, and he's from Alabama. He's the University of Alabama. He's a music major. And uh, bass player, uh, Neil Johnson, is from uh, Illinois. So I've been out touring with the guys, and we're promoting the record. We're on about 150 stations right now, and i uh, really excited. That's the good stuff going on. And then I've got the Joe Bonamassa project that just came out. It's number one this week, and I've got five uh, songs to show on that. Five so on that. We're point. having a good week. <laughs> yeah, you're having a good <laughs> You and I have had some funky weeks, so I know that uh, when we have good weeks, we celebrate them. Uh, I, I love it. Okay, so let's talk about the, the, the James House and the, and the Blues Cowboys. I mean, right. how did that all come about? Where were you in your head? Uh, where was the epiphany to do that? And, you know, is that something that you always sort of – you know, I know you, I know you as an artist and a writer, and I know you're always evolving – so where did all this, uh, when did all this sort of come about? Well, it's, yeah, it's kind of for a full circle. The first record I ever got when I got signed to Warner Brothers was a remake of Trial Little Tenderness. So it's kind of where I started. I did a lot of rock and blues. That was my, my what I was doing when I was in Los Angeles. And I knew country music because I was raised around it. So I just did listen to the CMA Awards out in 87 and made some country stuff. And that's where my journey in country music kind of took off. And I'm grateful it did. But um, for the last, Seven, eight years I've been writing. I started writing with Beth Hart, 
so it's just tearing it up out there in the blues rock world. She's selling out concerts everywhere. So I started with that. And her producer, Kevin Shirley, produces Joe Bonamassa. And so he asked me if I'd like to write with Joe. And, and uh, sure, and I did. And we wrote two songs in one day. And it just turned out so well, we kept going. So three albums ago, I think it was um, uh, Different Shades of Blue, I ended up writing eight or nine songs with Joe on that record. And we've got, um, and then the next one, five or six, and the same thing with this one. So that's where it started. And I, I looked around, and after I finished this last show, I was having so much fun writing blues and blues rock and it's a it's a fun place to go for me musically so i have you know i've got my home studio so i just started writing and with no expectations at all i just said i'm going to do this and, and uh anyway so i kept going put the record together um i played it for a few friends and and they you know the meter went really high up on the uh the applause meter like yeah that's good so <laughs> i put it out and it, you know it's kind of uh, got legs and it's taken off and i'm uh so we were in the first ballot for, to possibly get a Grammy and um, all so just a bunch of good stuff. So th- that's where it kind of started from. It was really kind of writing with uh, Beth Hart and Joe Bonamassa and I also wrote with this other artist by the name of uh, Joanne Shaw Taylor, who's great. She's British blues, and uh, and I just have an affinity for the music, and uh, it's a great place to go. I love we're talking to James House, hit songwriter, hit artist, hit everything used to hit me every once in a while up with great ideas and we spent a lot of time together like crazy during during this one period and stretch uh in nashville i can see us uh walking outside trying to get inspiration uh looking for snakes but um james so the benefit of having a home studio now uh you and i both sort of went through that process together uh sort of take our listeners you know a lot of people ask you know, how can you get started? How can you document what you're doing? How, I mean, the ability to to go in and sort of control the starting point, right? And and build on a project while nobody's in there but you. I mean, that's become a big asset in, uh, uh, for you, right? Yeah, it's, you know, it goes back. You need to be around people, too. I mean, you can get in here and get too lost in your own thoughts. But um, it does help, especially on... Um, it just saves cost too. You know, you're not in the studio. You can, especially for vocals and overdubs, you can take your time. Cause we all know studio costs are still high, um, and it's just not warranted. The uh, the, uh, the sales of records have been, you know, declining since uh, digital stuff is taking off. But and, and also, it's a lot of fun to be in the studio. I love having my own studio. Although I, I get to invite people over, so I surround myself with the best musicians I can. I did too. You you know you you yeah. You have, Great scene in your studio, and uh, it was always a joy to come over there because it was a great vibe, great gear. And but that you know, at the end of the day, people got to make music with, with other people. You, you need uh, you need uh, the camaraderie and the energy in the room. It's real important, I believe. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, it's a learning curve to uh, to to start a studio. But you start small. I mean, a laptop with uh, with GarageBand is how I started, mm-hmm. and just kind of evolved from there. If you can get whether you can make that sound pretty good, then you just go to the next step and the next step, and the next thing you know, you're <laughs> you're buying guitars later yeah. and, and, and microphones and everything else. <laughs> Could you imagine if we, when we were kids and we'd have had this ability, uh, and and where kids are now, and the ability to—I mean, I see kids coming into the Delta Music Institute, and I know there's Belmont there, 
and and MTSU and all these great music programs, North Texas and all that. And they these kids come into the schools already making music, already having songs on iTunes, you know, and Spotify. <laughs> I mean, they're so far ahead of the game. I wonder so what it'd been like for us if we would have had. I don't know, but I, same thing. I you know my for my my son turned eighteen and I gave him. He want what he wanted. He wanted a really nice iPhone, so we got him that. And I thought I I wanted a guitar. But sure enough, he took that iPhone and had this app on there, and he was making music on that app within minutes. And I was just, you know, that that's great. It's, you know, music and guitars and anything you play music on, it's just a tool to make the music with. So you can do it on a, you know, on a washboard and, and stomping your foot. I mean, that's, uh, that's uh, uh, it's incredible. Yeah, it's great to watch what the, what the kids are doing and, um, uh, and how creative they can be. And I've learned from them. I, I soak it up. I don't sit around and be the old guy. At least I try not to be and go, hey, back in my day, we, yeah. we had to bleed you know, on our guitars to get some music. <laughs> now I listen to them and, and watch them and uh, try and pick up what they're, uh, what they're throwing down. Well, I, I think they're paying, they're paying up dues is just a different way. I mean, you know what I mean? So it's, uh, right. you know, we had one way. You couldn't afford to go record. And you just had to go play live, and you just had to play, play, play until, and that's how you learned. I'm talking to James House. Uh, James, back in, you grew up, you, you were born where, in Sacramento? I was born in Sacramento, and then uh, moved up to Southern Oregon. We had a cattle ranch up there. My dad and my uncle, a quartet, and they, they sang and toured a lot. And they, uh, they, uh, we, we all, all four guys, my dad and three brothers, and, and, we, and all the kids we lived on one ranch. Uh, together, four houses on a pretty big ranch, 2,500 acres up there. But my dad and my uncles were traveling a lot, going to New York. They were in New York on a show called the uh, Author Doctor Show. Hmm. And uh, it's kind of the uh, American Idol of the day. Nice. And um, so that's where, you know, it was a real musical family. And, and, but my dad and uncles came back from uh, from New York, and they all had two or three kids at that point. And my mom and aunts were running the ranch, and the guys were singing, and it just it didn't go over so well, you know. And there was a lot of support, but it just they couldn't sustain it and uh, keep their families. And at the end of the day, my my uh, they, their families were more important than their careers. And trust me, they they sat around and talked about it till the day they died. Where should have could have. But they gave me all that beautiful energy and, and help and uh, and encouragement because I could have never done this alone. I mean, I mean, you know, it's like a family that believes in you. It's a, it's a big uh, it's a big help out there. Um, because it's a you know the business is is uh, uh, discouraging at times and, and and but you know I somehow I've been doing this all my life and and I sit back now and I, I can afford to in the sense of just afford to be able to look back and reflect just a little I, I like to look forward all the time but occasionally I look back and go wow I've had been able to live in music all my life and I'm extremely grateful. How old were you when you started? Can you can you recall? You know, it was from the time I can remember being alive. I mean, it was the first language I spoke with song because we were singing around the house and my dad sang to me. And, and so I think from the time I was five or six, I remember it. Um, it was just hit me. And it still has a visceral effect on me, music and songs. And, um, you know, it just does. And I, and I know it does everybody in its, in its own way, but it's always had that, that sense of excitement to me. And I still I hear a great song that, you know, either brand new or, or old. And, uh, it has the same effect as I did when I was a kid. And there's nothing like writing a song. It's, they're all hits the minute you write them. And that's, there's something just addicting about writing songs because every once in a while you get it right. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking to James House. You're in a Mississippi Minute. We're going to be right back. 
Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. If you hear teardrops falling like rain on the rooftops. I'm Steve Azar. We are with the Fabulous. I like to say Fabulous. I say that a lot because I have, always have Fabulous guests on. But this guy's really Fabulous. James House. You're talking about your days growing up, obviously, your first language. I love hearing that is song, with song. That's just so cool. Tell, tell me about uh, high, what was it like in high school for you? Was there, were there sports? Was there distractions away from music? Was it always music? It was. Uh, um, I mean, I, I was on the wrestling team for a little bit and I had some friends, but mostly I was pretty focused. I knew when I got out, and I, I, I set up to get out early, so I... Um, I doubled up all my classes and so I could get out when I was 17. I got out in my junior year. Wow. So from, from, from a kid, I, I came out of high school, the goal was knowing 200 songs. And that's what I did. I, when I was 17 and graduated, I knew about 200 songs. I knew I could sing four or five hours. So the idea was to get out and start playing clubs. Now, they, unfortunately, they wouldn't let me play in the club until I was 18. So I had a year of just kind of uh, floating around Sacramento down to Los Angeles for a bit. But I was just, you know, just 17. And, you know, I worked that, that year. And then when I turned 18, I was able to run around audition in all these clubs around Sacramento and Davis and Chico and, and Lake Tahoe. And I was able to go play with my acoustic guitar in these uh, these. Uh, um, like restaurants back then, the singer-songwriter era was real popular. So I was singing everything I could learn, and, and I, so I could sing all night. Um, and that's how it started for me. So within, when I was 18, when I started, so by the time I was 21, I got, I had my first record deal with Warner Brothers, with Warner Curve, and um, you were 18. Kind of worked out, you know. Well, so it, in high school, I I really concentrated. I wasn't out partying a lot. I was like working and. And I, I, you know, I was always told you had to rehearse three hours a day. So I diligently rehearsed three hours a day. Wild. Wild. So, um, a little bit of sports. Um, you know, I just was never, uh, the guys got real big in sports and real fast, and I didn't. Um, so my guitar was better and better all the time. There was a reality for all of us there. When you when you found yourself, up, uh, you know, against something, uh, a talented athlete or whatever, like really talented that was going to take it to the next level, it was reality check. And you go, you know what? I do this better than I do that. And you got to make decisions. And you know, we've seen our kids grow up and make those same de- decisions. So it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool to watch them have to make those calls in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, and it just reminds you of, of, of our own journeys. We're talking to James House. James, you're okay. You're, you're talking. Your first deals were more in the rock world, right? Yeah. So uh, to me, you've always been rock. I mean, you're just James House, you know, and, and, and I've interviewed other artists and I've said that about them. They're just themselves and they are to the songwriter to me, the true songwriter. And like you, you're sort of born with this thing that you're just what it is. And did you find yourself in the rock world? Uh, were there the box, did the boxes ever bother you? And then you had the country world and then you had the, you've had the blues world. But to me, it's always sounded like James house. Well, you know, it's music to me is music. It's only two kinds and that's good and bad. Um, I just happened to have been raised around real authentic country and real good rock and blues. So it's all part of the DNA. Now my voice happens to really, I think like blues rock. It's singing, it's, it, it, 
rings truer singing blues rock than anything. As a writer, I thought I can, I get it, I get country. Uh, I well, yeah, because <laughs> uh, I was around it a lot, and I can always, I would say, when I was a kid, our Saturday nights were kind of based around a Buck Owens record because my parents, we go to my aunts and uncles, and they would put on a Buck Owens record and start dancing and singing. And us kids would be watching TV, and they loved Buck, so you know. They'd be starting off with a tiger by the tail and be going, and if you can hear them out there drinking and partying and dancing a bit, because they, you know, they were in there. I think they were kids then, they're thirty years old or something. Parents and um, and then uh, they, you know, kind of getting fights and stuff, and they'd be hearing other songs of Buck, you know. And uh, but at the end, you would hear them. We're like, oh god, they're gonna get divorced. By the end of the night, they'd be playing together again <laughs> and um, be slow dancing, and we, you know, we'd, that would be the end of the night, and that was every Saturday night. Um, so that was a big part of my and my dad and uncles and music was I loved it. It was Sons of the Pioneers kind of stuff and so that still rings in there. But anything you kinda of get when you're a kid, it becomes part of your DNA. And then the radio was just I oh mean we bought every record we did. I grew up in Sack. Power Records, the original Power Records was too yeah. far from us. Now my mom would take me down there diligently on Saturdays and I'd get my five dollar allowance. I had a paper route, actually, too. And I'd spend it every bit of it on records. And uh, every Saturday, I'd go buy a new album. And uh, I think growing up down there, too, Sacramento uh, would have you, uh, there was a music um, uh, promoter there by, in the area by the name Bill Graham out of San Francisco. And he uh, brought all his San Francisco acts over to Sacramento. So we were seeing everybody come through the Sacramento area. It's mm-hmm. called Memorial uh, Auditorium. And I saw all these great bands. And, and then when I moved to Lake Tahoe, everybody led, played Lake Tahoe. All the rock acts. I saw Elvis twice, and my dad took us to that. Uh, you name it. We were seeing it. I saw B.B. King. We still watched B.B. come through there and play for two weeks straight. And we'd be there every night watching him. And So it was just a great place to go hear music, too. And we, were, we were trying to add up the other day how many right, how many concerts we've seen or how many I've seen in my life. And I mean, thanks for a few. I never got to see the Beatles, and I get to see the... Um, the Zeppelin or anything, but most everybody uh, somewhere along the line, I got to. Uh, they came through there. Mm-hmm. Influence-wise, so. besides your family, uh, did you uh, musically uh, these acts? I mean, what what was the one? What were the ones that jumped out and sort of uh, left the biggest impact? Do you think back well, in that time? It, you know, as writers, it was the Beatles kind of inspired me to become a songwriter, um, and the Eagles. Uh, musically, I really loved Van Morrison, and mm-hmm. and then uh, later on, and I loved some of the more rock and stuff. The, the Zepp, Zeppelin was really great. The British rock stuff was really, really influential. Um, uh, I'm trying to think, and then uh, then I got to listen to some of the original Muddy Waters. I discovered all that stuff, and and uh, and then there was the uh, uh, Marvin Gaye in those records. So. Um, uh, Otis Redding. I mean, I still love Otis Redding. As, as a singer, I probably related to him more than anybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody had their kind of different influences on me. And I remember Johnny Cash was huge in our house because, you know, he, Folsom Prison wasn't too far away from us in Sacramento. And I noticed he wrote his songs, and he was like a rock star around when I was a kid. And watching people write their own music became, I thought, well, I, I figured, well, if I don't write my own songs, they won't give me a record deal. And that's where that started. That's where that whole, I better learn how to write songs. And I'm still trying to learn how to write songs. Every time you sit down and write one, as you know, yeah. it's a new experience. You know, there's no formula. Um, so it's... Uh, it's like birthing a new child a lot of times. Yeah, every time. Right? Every time. Every, every song deserves its own instrument. And I, you know, some of my kids are just not as pretty as the other ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
love that. We're talking to James House. He's got a little little early sense of humor. I'm liking it. I'm liking it. Uh, James, your first songs, I mean, you think about it. How many songs did it take you to land your deal? Because it's different for everybody, and your deals came early in life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as I've interviewed some of our, our friends, your our mutual friends, I found out all sorts of stories. Like Radney Foster talked about it, his first hundred songs he threw away. You know, that was what he was told. I mean, uh, uh, you know, there's been just Rivers Rutherford, his first, like his first song he ever wrote was uh, recorded by uh, the Highwaymen. And then he said wow. he, went on, he went on a eight-year hiatus, you know, of nothing. <laughs> so... Um, for you, what was, you know, how did it all, when did it all start where you go, okay, I wrote 20 songs and I got a record deal or was it a hundred? Was it a 200? Was it 30? I think it was probably before even between about, I started writing when I was about 14 or 15 and those just all went away. Um, I, nothing really got serious until I was somewhere in my early twenties and we were lucky. The, the Warner Brothers deal, they paired, they mentored, uh, me with a guy named Dick Pollard. And Dick had written uh, Abraham Martin and John and uh, Sloopy, so he was the first real songwriter. And then, and and I wrote, used to play him all my songs. I used to write with Dick, so I, I got mentored. There was another guy in Sacramento by the name of Jack Trailer. Oddly enough, who was an English teacher at an opposite school of mine, but he had a record deal, uh, RCA, with his band called the uh, uh, what was it, Steelwind. And his guitar player ended up being in the Jefferson Starship Creek and Kiso. So I was around early, some, some really uh, sort of mentored me. But I, God, I can't tell you how many songs I probably wrote from 15 to, to 20. And then I, we, we cut, on my first deal, we cut, I don't know, seven or eight of my songs. The band broke up, as they do. And, um, and then I went, uh, I went solo and was signed by, right after that, pretty quickly after that, I was signed with Atlantic Records. And I think I wrote another 40, 50 songs and ended up cutting 10 on there. And then I just started writing all the time. I, I looked at my BMI catalog. I've been with BMI since I was like, I've got 647 songs Wow! in my BMI catalog. Those are actually uh, songs that are out there, right? Yeah, well, they're, you know, some are out, but it, a lot of them are out, yes, but that's in my catalog over there. That's a lot of songs, and that's a that's that's a whole lot of good songs, great songs. I want to talk to you about some of these songs in a minute and where the inspiration came from, but you get to play DJ. Uh, we are the birthplace of American music. You've mentioned a few great ones already, so I'm going to make you choose between. Would you like to hear a little B.B. King or Muddy Waters? Oh, let's play some Muddy. I love them both. Let's play some Muddy. All right, we're going to play some Muddy Manish Waters. What would you say, babe? Manish Boys. Oh, yeah. I love, I love it. With the great James House. You're in a Mississippi minute. We're going to keep rolling on. Stand by. Yeah. 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 Now, when I was a young boy, at the age of five, my mother's child going to be the greatest man alive. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. When you've done all you need to do, and you've had more trouble than you can use, and you've painted every road that you can I'm Steve Azar. We are with James House, hit singer, songwriter, recording artist. The man has done it all. 
And when I say Swiss Army knife as a musician, I just I know James. He just grabs anything, strings, keys. He just grabs it and starts going, and it it all makes sense to me. I just I just was always in awe of sitting in the room with you. Uh, as, as a brother and just really learning I learned so much from you James and so uh, and, and I owe you for that and, and, I, and, I, and I miss you I miss uh, I, now I'm alone and I go where's my James house at <laughs> you know I don't want to work this hard <laughs> yeah that's the thing about Nashville is that the uh, you're pretty close to a lot of really wonderful talent we miss you here too yeah I know, so, I know. But we're, you know we're so glad you're you're spreading the word down there. In, uh, in yeah, it's awesome. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And you've moved out. You know, we were we lived right around the block from each other. So you've moved right. out into a, and you sort of about 25, 30 miles out of Nashville now. I do. I've I got a cabin, bought a long cabin on uh, five acres, and uh, it's uh, it's called. I got a cabin in the woods recording studio out here, and we love it. We're, uh, we're, I love it. Well, you're married yeah. to a great girl, Sharon. Is uh, has managed some big acts and managed big studios, and uh, it's a household of uh, of a lot of talented folks. So, uh, you know, obviously we miss you. Let me ask you about something, okay? This is a good example to me of your ability to pin a song that crosses, that they become bigger than the genre they start out in. I want to start with Broken Wing. I mean, you look at Martina McBride, and you think of you think of Independence Day, and you think of Broken Wing. You do. And of all the hits she's had, those are the two to me that crossed the lines and then crossed further lines. Give me the inspiration behind Broken Wing. Um, it's so weird. We, uh, I was scheduled to write that day with Phil uh, Barnhart and Sam Hogan. And I arrived at the studio early. I said, guys, come over at one. I really don't have anything. But I had something weighing on me. It was my sister was going in a really ugly relationship. And so I got to the studio, and I just started writing the track. Uh, I started about 10 o'clock, and um, it, was one of these, it's a, it was a studio that Sony had, my publisher, where you could, you know, it was one of these, so kind of like a home studio now, but we had an engineer there. That was, so I could just come up with parts and write. So I wrote the music, and then Phil and uh, Sam showed up, and Phil uh, was listening to it. I said, man, this is what's weighing on me. He goes, I've got this title. And he had the title broken wing, so we kind of came together at the same time. And so I would, we were started writing words. I would take a verse, we'd write a verse, and I'd go in and sing it, and then come back out, we'd write. So we went on. And, so the song started writing at about 10 that morning. At 5 o'clock, we were done and finished with it. Um, I knew it was special, but I also knew that female, if a female artist sang it, it would be powerful because mm-hmm. a guy singing it just becomes a storyteller. A woman sings a song and it becomes the advocate. So, um, and, I, and it was written for my record, but and I knew it was a hit, but I just knew that it was good. This would be much more powerful. So at first, Faith Hill had put it on hold. And mm-hmm. then um, and then she decided to have a baby and wasn't going to cut a record for a while. So uh, Martina uh, found it and uh, made it an unbelievable record. And we're like, it's five million airplay on that song. Well, yeah, yeah, you got one of the most played songs. Let me Let me ask you, did you do the demo? Did you sing it? Yes, I did. I sang it. <laughs> and I actually faked the the choir on it, <laughs> so, you know, because there's a great choir on the song, and I was doing all the. I kept stacking these, you know, I yeah. did my yeah. that way, that voice, you know, <laughs> and, uh, just because we thought, yeah, well, and, and it got pretty close, but it got the deal done, and um, yeah. 
How long did it take for the song to get, you know, you go through, you go faith, you got to hold. Uh, for people to understand, they go, oh, somebody bought our song. You don't do that. You record, you 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 pin a song, you record it, and you, you have pluggers or whatever that go out and pitch it to producers and artists and record labels, and then they'll put it on hold. And when it's yeah. on hold, you just sort of wait, um, and then you hope that they record it, and then you, your money starts coming in after that, but nobody purchases anything. So uh, yeah. how long? How long did it take before? It took it, about two months is all. It was like I went on the road, and it was out there pretty quickly uh, getting around. Uh, the Sony Stream, I probably knew they had, a, had one on their hands. Right. So it went from safe, and it was the next day it was picked up by Martina. Wow. And I think she cut it within six weeks, eight weeks. Same thing happened with Ain't That Lonely at the Dwight Yoko market. It happened very fast. Yeah. Well, it happened very fast. You know, that one happened fast also. Um, I'd written with Costas, and I were... Uh, writing here in town from I, was, I didn't have a record deal at that point we were just writing and um, he ended up we wrote that song put it down and on back then it was a cassette so we did, I didn't really know what I had he said he was going to be writing with, with Dwight in about a month he was going to be writing with us so um, all I remember is about a week after we'd written the song I was I was up the Bluebird and it was a uh, they asked me to come up and sing one song I'd never sang that song and I said well maybe I'll try this one out and the reaction in the audience was it was crazy good. Yeah. Uh, I, right, that was the first time I kind of knew, well, well maybe this is, this is something here. Um, about two weeks later, the Dwight Love just wants to cut it. And, and uh, of course, yeah, are you kidding? And it ended up you know, being his first time. He's only number one, and it's been played about. Is that his only number one? It is. You're kidding. I know. All those great records he's made, too. Dwight Yoakam had one number one. Sure, that's, it's only fitting. It makes total sense. So, Tell me, as you're writing for yourself, really, correct? Yeah, that's. I don't really know how to write for anybody. Exactly. I'm just trying to write the best song I can. You know, doesn't mean I, I'm the best singer for it, but I'm always trying to be. <laughs> right, right, no, yeah, no, no, man. Not many people can sing as good as you are with such range, uh, and soul to have it all. Uh, did was it tough giving up the songs, especially like okay, I get broken wing. You can understand that there's. That yeah. that if a girl sings it, you you get it. You explain that. But what about I ain't that lonely yet? Where does that, that... that was? I, I was you know in between. The one that was kind of I had to make a decision on was uh, in a week or two for uh, Diamond Ray ended up cutting because um, I had just recorded that with Monty Powell producing it, and we knew we had. I knew it was like a hit. It was so great. But even with me saying it, it was powerful. And he was also producing Diamond Rio, and he had just played. What he thought was his finished record for Diamond Rio was their record label, Arison, and they said, we don't hear a single. And Monty and I had just got in a week or two, and he called me at midnight, and I thought, because I know this is a hit song for you, but I'm just going to ask you if you want. I'll, I'll, I'll put this on Diamond Rio and be the first single, which usually never works. <laughs> Every, we all know, somebody says it's the first single, usually it makes the record. But anyway, I said, I thought all night about it, and got up in the morning and said, "Yeah, this, let's do this." And um, and it turned out great. It was it was the number one, and and, um, and uh, everything worked out great there. So, but you know, looking back, you know, I'm really glad I did it because being an artist is, as we know, is such a you know a, a, a gamble. It's such as ten thousand people trying to get through the uh, a mouse hole, you know. Right. <laughs> and um, and it's you know they let one mouse in every every year, and that's about it. Yeah. So. It's um, being a songwriter, 
it's really just been a, a, a blessing to me. It's been a big part of my career, and it's sustained me over the years. And um, and now I get to do whatever I want. I can write songs or, or cut them as I want. And so it's it's worked out uh, for the better. Let's talk about, we're talking to James House, let's talk about Europe. Uh, I know that all of a sudden... There was somebody that had remixed. Probably, I think this is me missing you. I think you, if I'm getting this right, uh, uh, and well, I tell you what, let's let's back up for a second. I want to know where this is me missing you comes from, and then let's talk about the remix over in Europe and things started to blow up, and then all of a sudden you've been spending a lot of time over there. So start with the inspiration. Yeah, well, it was. um, I wrote it with Monty Powell and Debbie Conklin here. Wrote it over at Maypop Music here in Nashville. That's the building owned by Alabama. So I used to write there a lot with those folks. Um, it was we just, you know, one of that song we were just writing, and it was the three of us wrote it. Wasn't really, you know, it, it, it took on more. Sometimes songs become you don't know what they are until after you write them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so we we recorded the song. It, uh, I'd had a record deal with uh, with Epic. I'd been signed with them, and we cut that. And Don Cook thought it was a single from day one. He was the producer on the record. And top five from it was it was a good hit. The video was number one, and um, it was really a lot of fun. I toured behind it, so I ended up leaving Epic because we only we only sold two hundred and fifty thousand, two hundred twenty-seven thousand records. So I got dropped because I didn't sell enough records. These days, you'd be you know the Beatles. Yeah. Sold that many albums. <laughs> um, anyway, long story. In two thousand and I think thirteen. I get an email from the fan that says, your song, This Is Me Missing You, is number one on the UK country dance charts. And I'm, I, my first question was, well, who mixed it? Who remixed it? Who cut it? Yeah. Said, no, it's your, it wasn't a remix. It was the original record. Wow. And it, it, somebody had discovered it. It's a, it's a long story, but there's a choreographer who happened to be in Arizona. She was British. Pulled into a, a truck stop, saw that record, and went, oh, I remember that guy. Put on the record. And between there and the time she got back home, she'd written the stand for it and took off. And, and then the other piece, then there was four songs that come number one off that album. And they were number one, but they're one, two, three, and four at the same time. So all in this uh, country dance chart. Okay, so I went over to her, and we sold out 21 shows in a row and just had a good time. And then I made another country record. I thought, well, that's what I should do. And I did. And went back over and did another tour for them. And uh, wow. So that's how that kind of uh, came about. So now I'm going back over as the Blues Cowboys, and if we're, uh, we've expanded. We've got a couple of shows in France and two in Germany, and, um, and then we're over to Denmark and then on to Sweden. I'm Steve Azar in a Mississippi Minute. I am uh, combing the brain and soul of James House, and we're going to continue to do so in just a Mississippi Minute. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We are with James House in a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, because that's how we do roll. And when I first heard the Mavericks, uh, I, I heard you. And it's you've had a decent relationship with them, good working relationship with them. I felt like you sort of like, uh, well, that's James House. You know, for me, uh, just stylistically, you've collaborated with them, right? 
Yeah, you know, look, Raul and I were kindred spirits. Um, I remember um, Renee Bell, who used to work for MCA Records, would find them, and she called me and said, you've got to hear this band I just signed out of Miami. We're all going down. So we all jumped in the airplane, went down to Miami, and I saw these guys playing on a, on a New Year's Eve night in Miami in this club. And before the night was over, uh, they had 500 people doing a... a uh, a, what do they call it, conga line dance, out around the block and back into the club. And uh, I thought, well, this is the future of good country music. And, uh, we, you know, they, they were in just and we were in the same kind of music, the uh, Roy Orbison influence, more kind of Southwest feel. And uh, so we just got along. It's kind of musically. I, I, I know I knew what, uh, where he was wanting to go. So we ended up writing a bunch of songs together and, yeah, no, it's a big fan. I'm still a big fan of that band. They're, they're one of the best American bands uh, uh, ever. So, um, yeah, and, you know, it was, we had the chance to record with him. In fact, he cut a song that I had recorded and that uh, that I ended up singing harmony on. I didn't write this. It was called Oh, What a Thrill, the Jesse Winchester song. Mm-hmm. And then he came over and sang on my album. That's him. He's singing on a song called The One Step Line. What are we singing? Uh, Take Me Away. It's on my record, and uh, him and Trisha, and Trisha was singing out of Trisha Yearwood. She was hanging out with uh, with Robert. She was married to Robert at that That's time. That's right, so, bass player, right? The bass right. player. So, um, yeah, that was the time. And um, I, you know, I remember one particular New Year's Eve party at my house. I just bought this house and hadn't really moved any furniture in. And uh, the Mavericks were there, and and their uh, their friends. And I'm, I'm glad I didn't have the furniture. In. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Let me just put it this way: I was driving everybody home. I was the only one who wasn't. (laughs) But it was a fun night, and uh, anyway. You know, you just reminded me of something. You just reminded me. Robert still has a guitar strap of mine from a show we did. You know that, and he and he kept saying, "I'm gonna bring it to you. I'm bring it to you." And it's been uh, over ten years now. (laughs) Of course. It was a special strap, <laughs> but he, you yeah. know, actually, it was my first Delta Soul strap that was ever made by Jerry Hart, who makes so many of his straps, you know. And so it was my first one. Well, it could be the only strap. one. I'm sorry. That's a coveted strap. Son of a gun. Delta Soul. That was cool. I'm gonna have to hunt him down. I'm gonna have to hunt him down and get it. Are you? Know, probably, probably, probably uses it. Uh, has a belt to keep his pants up or something now. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Talking to James House. Uh, James, so what's the plan? Uh, you're going to go tour, and uh, and people can get the new record right now. Is it out? It is. The uh, the CD is out, and um, and it's, uh, everything's on iTunes. You can go to my website, jameshousemusic.com or jameshousebluescowboys.com. Um, we've got uh, you can pre-order the new vinyl that comes out for December, it. and I'll sign that for you and send it. We've got hoodies on there. So we've been we've had to order more hoodies. And, uh, the, the vinyl comes in. So yeah, we're um, we've got some dates. We have a date coming up in Memphis. Come on, when? When are we going? BB King. We'll be there. BB King, December fifth. Wait a minute, I gotta write that down. Filming. We're filming uh, uh, a live show at Diddy TV that day. Um, We're excited about that. And then in January, we're very excited about this. We're gonna do. We have a residency at the City Winery. Here in Nashville, right? We'll be there every Wednesday. We'll be there four Wednesdays in a row. Wow! And uh, so, we, and we had special guests coming in. Tom Hambridge is coming in. Will Kimbrough is going to do a night. Um, one of my favorite artists, I love her name, Mindy Bear. And she's um, just a saxophone playing 
got it and sings great and she's got her own you know great records going on out there and then we'll even one day open we've got the uh maybe jb will come in but um so we're doing a residency there and then from there we go over to uh france and then to um uh to germany and then over to uh, denmark and sweden so you're busy you're busy busy it's I'm happy great. i mean i'm happy to be and grateful so yeah do you have an um, alarm on your house in the woods, just in case when you leave for a while and you protect all your gear, your guitars? We just leave a pig tied up out front. <laughs> he just, he'll warn it. He just kind of warns them off. Don't come over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't let that pig get around any of my friends, because he won't last too long. You know, down here sure. down here in the Delta, you know, everybody's wearing camouflage right now, or blaze orange, and they're getting ready. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's that time of year, isn't it? Right. It is that time of year, and I'm looking forward to it because I get to cook what they kill, which is good. There you go. Well, I appreciate you, brother. I miss you, and uh, it's been an incredible Mississippi Minute with my man James House. you got to check him, jameshousemusic.com, uh, and, uh, and everything will lead you to the well, which is a deep, wonderful place to go musically if you're a fan uh, he's gonna it's gonna satisfy man it's just uh, one of my one of my favorite people in the world James I can't thank you enough thank you buddy I'm Steve Azar in a Mississippi Minute all 60 of them where you can take your sweet time Whether you're a rebel, a bulldog, a golden eagle, or just a sports fan, Super Talk Mississippi has got a podcast for you. For you. Sports Talk Mississippi, The Rebel Report, Thunder and Lightning, The Super Talk Eagle Hour, and The Borky Show are all now available for you. And it's all free. Free. Get them all on demand at supertalk.fm and on your smartphone. Just search for Super Talk on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.